I love adaptogens. I love them. I take them every day. I used to be that way with coffee. Let's be honest. I would need it every morning, but now I love the feeling that I get from adaptogens, and it's a much more healthful <laughs> daily habit. That's what we all want, more, right? More, more healthful daily habits. That actually supports my body's physiology. Adaptogens are herbs and functional mushrooms that help your body adapt to stress. They essentially boost your resistance and tolerance when it comes to emotional and physical stress. They are good for stress support, adrenal dysfunction, hormone imbalances, anxiety, fatigue, you name it, adaptogens can help. The more I research adaptogens, the more I realize the easiest and best way to enjoy adaptogens is with superfood blends that can be added to water. Now I drink Organifi Red Juice three to four times a week, mostly mid-morning, and it's incredible for energy support and focus. It's a red berry antioxidant blend that has cordyceps, rhodiola, and reishi. They also have a green juice, which has ashwagandha in it. It's great for stress and recovery, especially if you're working out on a regular basis. And my favorite is Organifi Gold. It's my favorite nightcap. It's a sweet little warm drink. You can take at night. It's got reishi. If you've got anxiety or your mind is spinning at night, drink that as your nightcap. It is so good and it's calming. All of Organifi's superfood adaptogen blends are 100% certified organic and contain high quality ingredients. And they're also free of fillers and they taste really good and have clinical doses of adaptogens. You can support your body, energy, immunity, and stress with Organifi. Organifi takes pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price that works out to less than $3 a day. Go to Organifi.com forward slash WellFed and use the code WellFed for 20% off. That's Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash WellFed and use the code WellFed for 20% off your entire order. You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Welcome to the Well-Fed Women podcast. This is episode number 390. I am your host, Noelle Tarr of coconutsandkettlebells.com. This episode is awesome. And I'm putting them back to back. This is a two-parter, so next week we're going to get even more information. This is all about the gut-skin connection and getting to the root cause of skin issues. So many of us have random skin issues or even more long-withstanding, persistent skin issues that will not go away, whether it's for us or maybe our significant other or our kids. Skin issues can be so frustrating. So I am renewing two very popular episodes, two that I think are some of the best episodes in the last seven years. These two women are both named Jennifer, and they are amazing at what they do and helping people get to the root of skin conditions. This week's all about adult issues. Next week's is going to be all about kid skin issues, childhood rashes, and even also we're going to be talking about allergies. So let's jump right in. Now let me introduce Jennifer. Jennifer Fugo is a clinical nutritionist empowering women who've been failed by conventional medicine to beat chronic skin and unending gut challenges. Because she's overcome a long history of gut issues and eczema, which we will learn all about today, uh, Jennifer has empathy and insight to help her clients discover missing pieces and create doable integrative plans. She has her own podcast. It is called The Healthy Skins Show. You can search for it right now. Um, wherever you're listening to podcasts in your podcasting app, it is incredibly comprehensive and she does some deep dives into a lot of different skin issues. And she's also the creator of Skin Interrupt, which is a comprehensive library. I was uh, like going through the whole website yesterday. I was so impressed. And it just is like everything you need to know on solving chronic skin rashes um, holistically. She's a wealth of knowledge and I'm so excited to dive in. Welcome, Jennifer. 
thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here as well. Good. Uh, Yeah, we were just commenting before we got started. I was like, I am so happy that I found you because this is really complicated. And there are a lot of misconceptions when it comes to chronic skin rashes like eczema, psoriasis and rosacea. And I feel that most people I know you've seen this personally. I feel like most people have gone through the process of being told that there is nothing they can do about (laughs) their skin issues. And oh, well, here's a cream. And then somewhere along the line, they probably find out, oh, maybe there's a root cause and maybe I should be working on the gut. But then how do I treat it and what do I do? And it's so this is one of the aspects of holistic health that I still have not even figured out. Like, I'm still confused by it all. And I know that you have your own personal story and can relate to this so much. So talk to me about what you went through and why you decided to make chronic skin conditions your specialty. I know I um, am like stuck in this world of a lot of photos of people who are really struggling and in a lot of pain. And it's something where I get photos every single day and just holding space for the level of pain, alienation, um, confidence is completely blown. So like people will not wear shirts, they won't wear shorts, they can't wear sandals. Some people can't walk because their feet are completely messed up. For me, it was my hands. Uh, So I had dyshidratic eczema that impacted me back in 2014. It just like showed up out of the blue in the middle of the summer while I was in grad school. And so people think that like grad schools, you know, they advertise it like, oh, it's so easy. Let me tell you, grad school will make you really stressed out and unfortunately sometimes can make people sick. I wouldn't deter, I wouldn't not go. I'm glad I went, but it really it really, (laughs) it was not the best thing for my health. I will say that going full time and running a business and whatnot. And so, um, basically what happened for me was that I developed what looked like these little clear bubbles underneath my skin on my right middle finger. And I was like, what is that? Very curious. And so all of a sudden, one day it became very itchy. They started, these little bubbles started to ooze and the skin became very red. And that was like, that was my new friend for a very long time. So it would get really bad. And every time I'd get this flare up, it would spread more and more and down my fingers and it started to spread on my palms. It only stayed on the palm side of my hand, not the back side. So unfortunately, it made it very difficult within these flares to be able to A, wash my hands, B, even wet my hands because water burned. I had to stop exercising because I couldn't touch anything. And think about, you know, even now we're worried about touching things at the gym. If you even want to go back, I couldn't even touch things at that point because I couldn't wash my hands. A lot of barbells and things have, um, you know, that they're sort of like, they're rough on purpose so that you can grip them. Well, that would rip through my skin. And once the flare, this angry, itchy, maddening flare would end, my skin would become incredibly dried out. It would crack. And in the fall, it would have a completely different presentation where if I bended, if I would bend my fingers, I would end up with these cuts, little paper cuts around all the bends and folds of my hands. It was so painful. I can't even tell you. So it was like, on one hand, dealing with these horrific flares that were super itchy. And then on the other half of the year, because I live in the, nor- the Northeast um, in Pennsylvania, during wintertime, my skin was just uh, this like delicate mess that would break open at any moment. And I got to the point that I did not want to leave the house. People would sort of second guess shaking my hands because they would see that they looked all bright red and frankly, kind of gross. And um, I was either wearing blue, these like blue disposable gloves I'd get from Home Depot, or I just was not touching anything and um, had like all these lab, these uh, salves that either my sister mate would make for me or I would buy on Amazon, like trying to keep things as moisturized and hydrated as possible. But really always it was a losing battle. And so this went on for a couple of years and I finally hit like rock bottom because I was fed up being told you just need more steroid creams. You just need like some other medication. Um, You just need to learn to live with this. I was told that, which is a very common thing that people are told, or it's probably in your genes. I'm sure somebody in your family has it. And I'm like, for real, that's literally the best we can do here because that's not giving me a whole lot of hope. And it was actually my husband. Um, who said to me, you know, 
you're going to school for clinical nutrition to look at things from a different perspective. Have you ever considered if you looked at your skin issue from that perspective? And I was like, no, how silly of me, but no. And that was really... I'm glad he did because I was at a very low point. I did not want to leave the house anymore. And I had I was actually thinking of hanging up the towel as far as working in clinical nutrition because I'm like, how can I help people if my skin looks like this? And what I discovered through a lot of trial and error was that I didn't have a steroid cream deficiency. <laughs> that was not <laughs> the problem. I didn't need to slather Vaseline as I was for some reason advised all over my hands to try to keep the moisture in because it's utterly impractical and I don't want Vaseline all over myself. Um, and so I realized that for me, there was a gut component to this. It was a nutrient component to this. And there was a lot of other factors that I didn't fully understand. And over the course of about 12 months, my skin slowly improved. And I will be honest, about four or so months in, I was like, what am I doing? I haven't seen any improvements. I don't even know. And there was just this little voice inside of me. It was like, keep on going, keep on going. And I did. And eventually, my skin completely cleared. My nails had gotten pretty wrecked. It's one issue with like psoriasis and eczema. When it impacts the hands, it will tend to wreck your nails as well. They get kind of deformed and weird ridges and all sorts of stuff. So my nails slowly grew back out correctly. And I really haven't had eczema since with the exception of a year ago when I decided to try adding a lot of resistant starch to my diet. I had a severe GI flare that also created a ton of um, pain, which I've been dealing with for the last year and working on and it caused my eczema to pop back out. So you know, like I've learned so much in the process. And, and I will say this, a lot of people have asked me like, why with eczema and with skin issues, they can be very traumatic. It's very stressful. Why would I want to continue, continue immersing myself in that world? Why would I want to put myself in a position where people are literally sending me some really awful, sad, painful photos of themselves because they're just so desperate for help. And the reason is because of those photos. I realized that I couldn't leave those people behind, that I couldn't just hoard the information. And what I had at the time was very little, but I couldn't hoard it. I wanted to share that. And so I kept digging, digging, digging. And that was where the idea for Skin Interrupt came about. It was like, we need to interrupt the conversation that we're having about chronic skin rashes to say what's really going on and basis around research, around doctors who are forward thinking around other practitioners who've had a lot of experience with this. And that's where the idea for the Healthy Skin Show came about. And I've just kept on going. I'm, I find something like a dog and I'm like, I got to chase that. And I want to share it with everyone because I understand the level of suffering and life wrecking that rashes can have, no matter whether it's you or it's your spouse or a child it, it is just devastating. And for people who go, it's not that bad. You don't actually understand what it is like when you wake up in the middle of the night with bloody sheets <laughs> because you've been scratching your skin to bits because you are so itchy or you can't sleep or you're in pain. So it is a big deal. I think we need to have a lot more empathy for people with these issues. And I think now is the perfect time to say, okay, but why is this happening? Let's answer that question because I always got the, you just have to learn to live with it. We don't really know. That's not entirely true. Yeah. Were, were you able to find a doctor, like a, a, a doctor that was able to help you? Or was this something that you really did on your own? And how does somebody find a doctor? I know we're jumping ahead a little bit, but how does somebody find a doctor, like you said, that is a little bit more holistic minded and, and solution oriented? That's a good question. No, I did not. Not many existed at the time. There is a growing movement of dermatologists. It is small. So it's naturopaths, actual MDs who are dermatologists, who are creating a movement within dermatology to shift this. But again, this literally just started about a year ago. And there's a platform called Learn Skin. And I'm actually on faculty with them. And they have an amazing amount of courses, some of which for like practitioners, you can get CE and CME credits for. And um, a lot, some of it's free, some of it's paid. But they are really trying to push these ideas into conventional dermatology. Because at the moment, dermatology is mostly focused on the step. So the the standard of care is antibiotics, steroid creams. If that doesn't work, then we'll try 
sometimes they'll do sometimes they'll do antifungals if they think it might be fungal related or it pop candida for example pops up as a problem sometimes they'll have like the tar like it's a lot of topicals but then we start getting into immuno, immunologic drugs so things that suppress the immune system um, that may be used that have really serious side effects by the way and then biologic drugs like dupixins um, that try to block specific pathways in the body to shut down inflammation. And so that's really a key right there to go, wait, if steroid creams, steroid creams block inflammation and these biologic drugs block inflammation, then why aren't we following that train and saying, well, what is causing the inflammation in the first place? So instead of blocking it and turning it off, because I kind of look at your symptoms as a, it's like the check engine light in your car. If you cut the wire to that, you're never going to know that there's a problem underneath the hood that has to be addressed until you get kind of a, you know, you're driving down the highway trying to get home and your car just conks out on you. And so that's where I was like, we need to look deeper and, and figure out what's going on. And so I would say if someone is looking for a practitioner, I don't know of any great database right now. I will say that there are some amazing there are some amazing doctors that I've interviewed on the Healthy Skin Show. So people could go through that directory and see if there's someone near them. Doctors are tricky because they are kind of confined by the state that they, they are licensed in. So for example, um, I have had uh, Dr. Julie Greenberg on who's a naturopath, but she's only licensed in California. So she can only see patients in California. So, But the, I have other doctors that are in Illinois and et cetera. So if you're really looking for a doctor, that's a great way. Um, there's also the Learn Skin podcast that is an extension of Learn Skin that um, a lot of the more forward-thinking uh, dermatologists are on. So that's another. But I don't think there's any directory as of right now. Functional medicine is okay. Um, I will say that a lot of websites do say that they handle eczema and psoriasis. I've just not, unfortunately, I will say that the, the IFM elimination diet does not always work with skin issues. Sometimes it makes it worse. And, and frankly, they're not really trained on those issues. So there's a, just you have to find a practitioner that really understands it and works with it on a regular basis. Otherwise, just doing like a gut protocol may not be enough or might not be done in the right order because skin is different than just gut problems. Which is why this, <laughs> which is why this whole topic is so confusing. Yeah. This has to be your specialty in order for you to be able to really understand what the missing pieces are. Um, I will link to the Learn Skin um, uh, website and the podcast. And I'll also share with you, Noelle, I uh, co-authored a paper and a sm like a small little course, I guess, that's associated with it. But there's a whole new series that was released like a month ago, uh, all on the GI connections, the microbiome connections with skin issues. And so I think anyone can actually go through that and look at all the different papers that are in there. It's a pretty comprehensive and extensive um, view of looking at your skin from all different microbiome perspectives. And it's, pr it's pretty cool. I can send you the link if you'd like. I would love that. And I'll, I will definitely put it in the show notes. There are only two supplements I have on subscription currently, and that is L-theanine, which is a calming amino acid I've talked about a lot on here, and magnesium, specifically magnesium breakthrough from Bioptimizers. Of course, both of these are great for sleep, but magnesium has the added benefit of being fantastic for stress management. Stress depletes your magnesium levels, and it's a mineral that most people are deficient in because it's really been depleted from our soil and food. Being stressed when you're already deficient in magnesium can wreak havoc on your sleep. Magnesium increases GABA, which encourages relaxation on a cellular level. So that's why it's so critical for sleep. The reason Magnesium Breakthrough is so effective is because it's a full spectrum magnesium supplement with seven different forms of magnesium. When you get all those seven forms, pretty much every function in your body gets an upgrade. Sleep, brain function, stress, 
pain and inflammation. And for a limited time, you can get additional digestive supplements from Bioptimizers, which I love, included with your order. So when you purchase Magnesium Breakthrough, you'll get a free bottle of Masszymes, which is Bioptimizers' powerful digestive enzyme. And then there's also P3OM, which is an awesome proteolytic probiotic, and their HCL product, which can help to alleviate heartburn and acid reflux. So this will all come with your order. Visit Mag Breakthrough, so that's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com forward slash wellfed. Enter the code wellfed10 to activate this offer. It's limited to the first 1,000 orders. Again, that's magbreakthrough.com forward slash wellfed and enter the code wellfed10. Now we are all super intrigued and dying (laughs) for more information. Talk to me about what are some of the hidden root causes of chronic skin issues? What are those like you were talking about them? So if somebody is like you or in that state where they are getting this chronic rash, they can't figure it out. They've tried a lot of things. Where do they start and how do they know like what's their root cause? So one of the issues when you you ask this question is that everyone likes to go online and we've all done it. I'm guilty of this. And you're like, oh, that worked for Judy. I'm going to do that. We have the same story. We have the same condition. And then you end up disappointed because you're like, it didn't work. Did Judy lie? Did she make things up? And maybe I didn't do something right. Maybe I'm broken. Like we we go through this whole thing of emotional. Like this whole whole slew of emotions around what's going on when things don't work for us. The reality is that the the approach that most people take to their skin of just like kind of th- I I sort of liken it to throwing spaghetti against the wall and hoping that something sticks. It does not work. And the reason is that there are actually 16 different root causes. Most people have a combo of three to five. So here's the thing. What happens if your combo is not the same as Judy's combo? And so what worked for Judy is not going to work for you because your issues are actually different. While the presentation may be the same, and this also goes for people that are struggling with a lot of different skin issues, by the way, doesn't matter what type of eczema, what type of psoriasis, what type of rosacea. Sometimes we get caught in the weeds of feeling the need that we have to It's got to be specific to, you know, dysidroidic eczema or numular eczema or whatever you're dealing with. These apply to all of the different skin issues that I have been researching, etc. So I think the important thing is to consider that you have to look for your own unique combo. So to go through the list quickly. um, The first is microbiome dysbiosis. That's an imbalance of the bugs that live in a particular area. And in this, I'm specifically talking about what's going on on the skin as well as in the GI tract. There's also gut dysfunction. So not having enough stomach acid, not having enough enzymes, like pancreatic enzymes to break things down, etc. Diet and food reactions are only one facet of this. And I think that's actually quite eye-opening to most people because the first thing that most people do when they get fed up with their doctor is like, I'm going to do an elimination diet. And they a lot of times don't always feel better. Nutritional deficiencies, liver detox challenges, trauma, unmanaged stress, genes. So there's a specific gene called filaggrin that I'm happy to talk about that it regulates the barrier function of your skin. That can be an issue for some people thyroid dysfunction, hormone imbalances. So that would include issues where like, for example, you got blood sugar problems or estrogen dominance, etc. Autoimmunity as well as autoinflammation, drug reactions, mitochondrial dysfunction, heavy metals, environmental toxins and environmental allergies, things like pollen, chemicals, dander from pets, etc. That's a lot. That's yes. a really comprehensive list. What? How does somebody know then? Because I'm going through all those things and I'm like, yeah, that could be, I could, <laughs> any of those could be my problem. Um, how does one know where to start? Do you recommend, so say that somebody is just trying to figure out what's going on. Do you recommend somebody test from the get-go, like do some comprehensive tests right, right from the start or troubleshoot maybe some of those easier things and then move on to testing if things don't resolve? I think you have to ask yourself, how bad is the rash? How life-wrecking is it for you where you are right now? And how sick are you? If you just have a little patch of eczema that comes and goes, and it's not that big of a deal, then maybe you could play around with some things. If you are on the verge of having to quit your job, 
because you cannot get yourself out of bed and you feel so bad. And a lot of my clients, not all of them, but some of them are in that category. At that point, you really need to test because there are a lot of surprising things that can come back. I'll give you an example. I worked with one gentleman who ate the most amazing diet. His wife was a whole foods chef. They got everything local. They're up in Vermont. Uh, all the meat was pasture raised. Um, all the food was organic, all homemade. They didn't eat out. They didn't eat sugar. Like they were super clean diet. He was one of the most nutritionally depleted individuals I had ever worked with. He was floored and could not understand how his conventional labs, so it wasn't even a functional lab, his conventional labs came back so messed up, indicating so many lows. And he was flabbergasted because of how well he ate. And I said, you know, you have to understand something here. You have a really serious history of GI issues. You also were in India for a year and acknowledged that you had gotten sick multiple times while you were there. So I underneath this was thinking like, you probably have something going on with your microbiome. And when your microbiome is really skewed, it reduces your body's ability to absorb food. If your GI function is compromised, again, absorption will be, will be compromised as well. So we aren't what we eat. We are what we absorb. If you can't absorb the food, no matter how healthy it is, no matter how AIP it is or whatever, mm -hmm. you're, you're going to end up with nutrient depletions. And an important point a lot of people don't actually know, our body does not produce most nutrients it needs to survive. We have to absorb them. So if you're not taking them in from food, how do you expect your body to do the things that it needs to do? So I usually have people do like a low stomach acid test. That's really easy to do at home. Um, you know, something to consider is like comprehensive stool testing. And I will say this flat out, doing a biome or a U-biome and a lot of these kits that you can buy that are super cheap for at home, that they do not provide you any clinical data that's worthwhile. You're just wasting your money. So if you can go down that route and you have the ability to afford something more like a GI map or a Genova GI effects or something like that, where it's really meant for clinical support and analysis, that can provide you a tremendous amount of information. But I also think it's important to couple those with conventional blood labs, because the blood labs can tell us a heck of a lot. Like if your red blood cells aren't being formed correctly, or if you've got low D, low A, low zinc, etc., that right there is a huge red flag. So um, I would say that the other thing to consider are some symptoms around liver detox challenges. Like if you're waking up at night, anywhere from like 1 to 4 a.m. consistently, or if you wake up in the middle of the night itching yourself crazy, or you're itching yourself in your sleep and you don't even know it, um, that can be a sign that your glycine pathway, which is a part of phase two detox, is overrun. So one of the easiest recommendations that I give to people, even if they're not a client, because I think most people can tolerate it, is to try adding three grams of glycine powder. You can do it either once a day, twice a day is, is the best. Um, you put a little bit of water and just drink it down. Um, and that can help feed that pathway. B6 is also necessary, but you have to be careful because taking too much B6 can be inappropriate for some people. So um, I would be cautious in uh, mega dosing B6. Um, that's something more where you really kind of need to know if you need it and what an appropriate dose would be for you because too much is not necessarily good. Um, but that's where I would pretty much start. And I would also get clear on all symptoms that you have, not just your skin. And when people go, I'm say, I'll say, tell me, tell me what's going on. And they're like, why well, have eczema? I'm like, okay, what are your symptoms? Tell me what your eczema experience or your psoriasis or your rosacea experience is like, because everyone's is different. And those symptoms are incredibly important. Um, especially with skin issues, you have to be very cautious of skin infections. Um, and I can't as a clinical nutritionist diagnose that, but I do know the signs of a staph infection. And so that's where I would refer someone back to their dermatologist, because at that instance, you likely need antibiotics. And I know we hate to hear that, but the reality is staph could be just staph. It could be MRSA, it could be whatever, but you got to get that to stop. It will bring you so much relief in the meantime so that you can keep working on other things. And it can impact psoriasis as well. Um, a lot of people think it's just an eczema issue, but it's actually, it can impact a lot of different skin, skin issues. So it's important to 
be really clear on what your experience is, not just in your skin, but your entire body. In your work, do you typically see that the root cause is different depending on the skin rash? For example, is eczema typically triggered by something different from psoriasis or is it all related like and and the expression varies based on genetics? No, actually, there's a lot of overlap. That's why I was saying don't get pigeonholed into the idea that I have this is specific to this. There are variations like, for example, psoriasis has a very high incidence of um, at least with clients and and in research that they may have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So we need to be really aware of what are the liver values look like for someone with psoriasis. Um, As far as eczema, it varies because for some people, it could be a gut infection. I've had clients that have like blasto or um, Klebsiella and and some of the Klebsiellas that actually produce histamines, for example, like uh, Klebsiella oxytoca. Um, And so the thing with that is that, yes, eczema is it, it eczema is kind of a general thing, I feel like, because you can have underlying issues, but you could also have a more histamine driven picture. Some people have a very allergic thing going on not everyone does. So it's important to be clear, if you are really allergic to a lot of stuff, I would highly recommend go get IgE testing, whether it's a patch test, a blood test, find out what your especially seasonal allergies are, because there's a lot of cross reactivity between seasonal allergies and foods that we eat, specifically foods that are eaten raw. And you need to know what that is to help reduce your histamine load, so to speak. And then you start digging into some of these other pieces of the puzzle. Because if someone has like high eosinophils, for example, which you would see on a CBC panel, that's a red flag that there are there's something going on that's triggering histamine. We want to bring that down. And so that's where I'm like, okay, could it be a particular food that we're eating? Could it be H. pylori? H. pylori can also raise histamine levels. And a lot of people have, not everyone, but a lot of people have H. pylori. If you find out you do, you need to get your spouse or your partner checked because it does pass between two people through saliva. And so um, if both people have it, you both need to deal with it. Otherwise, you will get reinfected again after you do all of your hard work. Um, And then you can also have gut bugs. As I was saying, like the Klebsiella oxytoca is one organism that can produce histamine. So you could have a little histamine generation factory and you think the whole time it's just, oh, I have to avoid histamine rich foods. I can't tolerate histamines. You're producing them in your GI tract. So it doesn't matter how many foods you avoid. It's just overloading a problematic dysbiosis situation in the gut that's then showing up on your skin. So I think, you know, I have a a skin rash uh, root cause finder. It has um, all of these listed out with tons of symptoms that people can go through and check off if that's something your audience would be interested in. That way they could kind of see, because usually I tell people that we, if you have a ton of things checked off for one thing, that's probably a root cause right there. And that helps them identify what those three to five big ones are and where to start digging. It's usually a pretty big eye opener. Yeah, I um, I just wrote that down and I wrote down a lot of the things that you're saying. I will link to all of that in the show notes. Um, that would be so helpful. I think that the skin, the skin rash root cause finder would be such a helpful resource because you did mention a lot of things I'm assuming. And I mean, I don't know the treatment for a lot of that, but when you talk about, you know, an organism, organism in your gut being, you know, overrun or taking over pathogenic, um, like a pathogenic bacteria, maybe being like a, in too high of levels, or you also talked about H. pylori, mm-hmm. then somebody needs to essentially team up with their practitioner to treat that specific root cause, whether that's from very specific gut protocol where you take a bunch of, you know, antifungals or whatever, or you treat the H. pylori. Okay. And then once that's treated, then eczema should clear up. Like this, this treatment usually, is it immediate? Does it take a long time? Like how, how long before somebody sees resolution? It depends. And nobody likes to hear that. It depends. Here's the other problem. If you've had longstanding chronic issues, there's a high likelihood that you are nutritionally depleted, 
that you have um, a dysbiosis problem of some sort, whether it's both on the skin as well as in the gut. There may be some gut function problems. You may have some diet and food reactions as a result of the dysbiosis and gut dysfunction. You probably have some liver detox challenges. And that's not taking into account anything else, whether the thyroid's having an issue or whatnot. So skin is the lowest priority on the totem pole. Those other issues have to be addressed first a lot of times before you'll really see the skin start to turn around. Is it possible within, you know, 30 to 60 days, you'll really start to feel better and see some improvements. Absolutely. But you should not expect within two weeks, and I think this is important for people to hear, you should not anticipate in two weeks to have clear skin, perfect skin, I'm healed, I'm, I'm better. That's not realistic. I work with clients, it can be anywhere from three months to like nine months. Um, and I think that when you choose to go the more alternative route, it's taking the scenic route. It's slower. And the reason is that it's more oftentimes in alignment with what your body can also tolerate. So what if for me, I have some specific genetic SNPs that cause me to have more challenges dealing with things. I'm more sensitive, for example. I'm not. But what if I was more sensitive to certain supplements? And so it t- I have to, we have to play around with different formulas. So I think that's the one thing that you, that you as a listener... Um, If you're going to come into this conversation and say, well, I want to get away from the conventional route, I would say, number one, don't walk away entirely. It's good to have a partner on your side, even if you just have to go to them if you do end up with a flare to check for like a skin infection or to get a culture or something. But to have someone on your side, if you're walking down the alternative route, to recognize that you are, it's going to take time. And whatever you do, you should start to see results within a couple months, at least some changes. If you're not, then the question has to be what's going on underneath that may not be addressed, that might be more important. Um, And your practitioner should bring those to your attention. If they're not, then the question is how skilled are they with this? Um, The one thing I did want to mention that popped into my head, because some people forget that Itching, crazy itching, especially at night. If you find that you're itching crazy at night and it almost feels like you have bugs crawling under your skin, because that is an experience that some people do have, that can be a red flag for parasites. Um, it can also be an issue with candida. Um, but you that is a big red flag for dysbiosis, for sure. So I just want to I, I, I don't like people feeling like they're crazy because that's a lot of times how we're made to feel coming out of conventional dermatology. Like you're crazy. You're just like, you're thinking too much into this. You're reading too much into it. That's basically what you're told. Um, and you're not, you have to pay attention to all of those symptoms because if you can share that information with a practitioner, it can be incredibly helpful in helping you figure out what the best tests are and what's going on and what needs to be the, the next course of action. One last question before we jump into sure. to everybody else's questions. So what's your take then on the on certain foods or food sensitivities being the trigger for skin rash issues? Because a very common thing that people say is, oh, you have eczema. Well, then have you tried removing gluten? <laughs> I like that question because I was gluten-free, dairy-free, egg-free for six years and yeah. I developed eczema. So I'm like, when people say that to me, I'd be like... Uh-huh. Um, you know, I have a website. It's all about gluten. I I know all about this. I can teach you about that. Like it's not the food. So the problem is that if you want to give that a shot, if you don't see an improvement within, I would say 21 to maybe 30 days at most, it's likely not that food. There is a higher percentage of people specifically with eczema that tend to react to chicken eggs. I don't have any data on what that is or the reason why. It's just something that is kind of like a general thing. That doesn't mean you should necessarily take them out. You could try. You could also try duck eggs or quail eggs instead or in lieu of chicken eggs and see if that makes an improvement in your skin. However, this is the one, this is a little bit of a slippery slope here. Food sensitivities don't, they're not a root cause. That's why I said diet and food reactions. I'm looking at IgG or IgE reactions. So actual allergies, possibly intolerances where we're missing an enzyme like lactose intolerance. A lot of people understand that we're missing. Some people are missing the lactase enzyme. Some people may have issues breaking down histamine because their body isn't appropriately producing the DAO enzyme. 
And there are DAO supplements that you can try if you feel like histamine is a potential issue. However, I will give you one point. If you're taking a lot of Benadryl, that can actually downregulate your body's ability to produce DAO. So be careful if you're relying heavily on Benadryl for itchiness and such. Um, However, food sensitivities are a different thing. I have not found food sensitivity testing to be very helpful. They are caused because the gut becomes permeable or leaky as a result of dysfunction and dysbiosis within the GI tract. They do not, with the minor exception of gluten, increase leakiness. So they happen as a result of something else. Um, If someone is sensitive to foods, I'll say, okay, that's fine. You can leave them out. But eventually my goal is to start adding those foods back in. The one food that I probably wouldn't I don't push people to add back in as gluten. That's kind of if they want to or not. I personally can't re-add that back in. It just does not work for me. But um, some people it does. If it's an allergy, that's kind of a hard pass. Or if you have celiac disease, that's a hard pass on gluten, for example. Um, But I think people get too caught up in the slippery slope of I need to remove more. I need to remove more. I need to remove more. You become afraid of food. You become afraid of what happens when you eat foods. Are they going to trigger your skin? We associate eating a food or a meal with potentially a flare. And so we blame the food, not realizing that it's actually what happens to the food when it gets inside of you, which you can't quantify. And um, ultimately, you can end up very nutritionally depleted as a result because variety in diet helps provide us with a variety of nutrients. So I just want to caution people, if and especially on AIP, if you've been doing AIP for like I'm going to say 60 to to 90 days. I mean, I've talked to Mickey Trescott extensively about this and she, she was really the one after answering this question, I've asked her several times. It was like, if you're not seeing a really significant improvement in your, your skin issues like psoriasis, et cetera, after that point, you you need to go dig deeper with a practitioner because there's something else wrong. I love that. I've had her and um, Angie both on the podcast and we talked extensively into that. And I think that that's one of the biggest misconceptions is one that AIP solves everything and two that you just need to do it harder and longer um, if you're not seeing results. And none of the AIP leaders really think that, but that's just sort of one of those misconceptions. And I think it's really a a kind of a a little bit of of diet culture being more pervasive into the AIP diet. Like, well, you just, you're doing something wrong. You need to do it harder and longer. And I'm so thankful that so many people who come out of the podcast like you are saying and speaking like, stop. You don't have to do that. There's a lot, there's a lot of underlying root causes you can treat without having to stay on AIP for the rest of your life. Um, And you shouldn't actually, it's not healthy to have to stay on an elimination diet like that. No one's saying go out and eat McDonald's. Nope. No one is saying that. That's not the point. But you know, look, if you could reintroduce some grains, like what about having some rice periodically? What about having some of these other things? <laughs> yeah. Your life would probably be a lot more joyful, a lot better, and you would feel more like a normal person, which is all what we ultimately want. We just want to feel normal. Um, and I would just say if you've gotten stuck and you're in a lot of food fear and you're blaming food for causing your flares or your rashes or whatever, you, you might want to consider getting some professional help around what's going on and then slowly reintroducing those foods based on what's going on. Because I have worked with a lot of people that are down to five foods and it's really, really hard emotionally, mentally, and physically to start walking yourself back out of that because you can, by eliminating foods, also lose oral tolerance for those foods that you've eliminated. So you have to be very careful. Um, Elimination diets have have a purpose, but I think we've overused them at this point to try to solve everything. And that's not really fair to you, the person who's trying to just, you just want to be healthy. If you love a good serum, I have a new 30% off coupon code for you. One of the top ways we're exposed to endocrine disruptors, plasticizers like BPA and heavy metals is through cosmetic products. Conventional skincare is often loaded with endocrine disruptors and carcinogens, but products also can be high in heavy metals because they become contaminated through extraction and production. 
I made the switch to clean beauty five years ago after I read some alarming research that showed how harmful ingredients in skincare products can actually pass through the placenta to the baby and make it into breast milk. I tried so many different clean beauty products and by far the best effective skincare and makeup is from Beauty Counter. Their products are free of known harmful ingredients and they contain active ingredients, which means they work just as good if not better than the conventional products. They test for all contaminants like BPA and heavy metals, which is why I ultimately chose to make the switch. I absolutely love the vitamin C serum and I personally use the Countertime Tripeptide Serum every night, which has totally changed the fine lines around my eyes. Shop Beauty Counter at beautycounter.com slash Tar. Then use the code CLEANFORALL30 to get 30% off your order. You can also join my clean beauty list where I share promotions and sales and offer samples. That's at coconutsandkettlebells.com forward slash beauty. Again, to shop, go to beautycounter.com slash Tar and use the coupon code CLEANFORALL30 for all 30 to get 30% off your first order. Let's dive into some related questions specifically about gut issues and food allergies. This is from Martha. And some of this may just be um, help but repeating what you said, but also tailoring it specifically to real world examples. Uh, this is from Martha. She says, I know my eczema was healed when I quit eating gluten, but I still get flare ups. I think it may be eggs. What's a good way to determine what's setting it off? Do you, What do you think, Jen, about the... Um, the like food sensitivity testing? I don't recommend it anymore. There's okay. too many variables. I've had people come back with tests that like they're allergic to or they're sensitive to summer squash. And they're like, I never eat that. That's weird. And they don't actually have a problem with it. Um, I tend to think if you removed gluten and things got better, you have to think about what the action of gluten does within the GI tract. It increases gut permeability. That is there's science behind that. That has been studied by Fizano, and we have great studies to look at. There's one in 2015, actually, that they, they gave gluten to everyone and every single person, regardless of whether they had celiac or they were just a regular healthy person, all saw an increase in gut permeability. So if that's the case, that means that there's probably something going on in your gut that when you ate gluten was opening up the doors and letting that those toxins, those undigested food proteins and potentially bug parts. Because you have to consider when we break down gut bugs, there's bug parts floating around and that can enter the body through those, um, those junctions, ju- the cellular junctions that are no longer tight and that can trigger and response. So I would probably say do a stool test. I'm going to be honest with you. I already worked with a woman recently who swore up and down it was gluten, but still was having problems. She had so many bugs that should not have been in her GI tract. And she was like, oh my gosh, this is such a blessing. I've been afraid of food all these years. Wow. (laughs) That's what it was. Follow-up question, very related, almost like it'll just be to just drive home exactly what you said. This is from Christine. I notice when I eat grains, I get rashes under my arms and excessive odor. As soon as I cut them out and eat cleaner, I sweat and stink less and the rashes resolve. What causes this? Is there any way to go back to eating grains? I feel like this is one of those common questions, especially with eczema and skin conditions. Like, can we go back to eating the foods that we were eating before, but are seemingly causing these triggers? All right. This is a great question. And I'm probably going to go someplace that your listener did not even think of. Underarms is a sweaty area that is very yeast prone. So when someone tells me that they have underarm rashes, that is a red flag to me that they may have some sort of fungal overgrowth within their GI tract. So again... (laughs) I would say you got to know what's going on in the GI tract. If you think that it is fungal oriented, uh, an organic acid test, it's a urine test is the better way to go. Stool tests are not the best for fungal organisms. Um, You can get false negatives on a stool test. But if you're eating foods that are triggering a rash under the arms, it's most likely that you're feeding something to those bugs in your system that is then creating a flare. And glycine would be a great thing for everybody to start, as I shared in that tip already, because it'll help make sure that that glycine pathway is not being overloaded by whatever's going on in the gut. So I would definitely think 
about um, also too, if you're getting any other fungal type rashes on your feet, on your toes, fungal nail infections, yeast infections, etc. So kind of go through the checklist and see if you have other fungal red flags. Um, that may be a huge clue for you. And how do you treat that? Is Do you just do, use antifungals because it's a fungal overgrowth in your gut? If it's a fungal overgrowth, period, then yes, um, antifungals, you could go the like nystatin, diflucan route if your doctor's on board to do that. Otherwise, there are antifungal herbs and botanicals mm -hmm. that can be used. The only thing is it is important to know what the general landscape is because what if the fungal organisms are actually holding back or down something else hiding in your gut that is now going to go, oh, there's space. Great. And now you have a whole other problem. Oh, gosh. So it is important that manipulating the microbiome can be tricky. It, it, you have to know what you're dealing with. So um, that's why I say consider fungal, but there may be other pieces to it as well. Hmm. This question is from Hope. I'd like to know about eczema flare-ups during pregnancy and diet changes that can stop the flare-ups. What lotions or creams provide the most relief? What is it about pregnancy that like we have all these flare-ups? And I don't know if we've talked at all about what topical creams or treatments that you recommend. Yeah, the, the flare-ups during pregnancy are tough because you cannot do any antimicrobial things during pregnancy. Um, a lot of times it can be due to progesterone and fluctuations with estrogen and all sorts of stuff. Um, some people actually become allergic and very sensitive to their progesterone, believe it or not. And so that's something to consider. They could ask their doctor to see if they have IgE antibodies to their own progesterone. Um, you know, I mean, I would say to consider that what you're eating may play a role. So try to tune into that and see if there are some things that you could uh, make healthier choices around. Because I, I, I'm very cautious in saying eliminate, eliminate during pregnancy because you need to be eating a nutrient-dense diet and getting nutrients in because you're not just feeding yourself. As far as like what can be helpful, it just depends. If your flare-ups are, for example, staph, then you need to see a doctor around that. Um, staph is like itching, burning, um, oozing wounds. Um, if you're really uncomfortable, get checked for staff. They can do that with a culture. They'll just do, do a swab and then culture the swab. Um, but otherwise, I would say try some topical things. Like there's a one, there's one cream called Indigo Calm Balm. Um, and they have some great results. I've had clients that have been able to reduce their topical steroid use using that cream. It does have probiotics in it. And there is an oat-free version for people that feel that they're sensitive to oats or want to avoid oats because maybe they have celiac disease and they're uncomfortable getting it on their hands and stuff. Um, but that's one thing I would try. You could possibly also try something like Glad Skin. Um, it's not the cleanest ingredients. Um, so, And I would also try to go toward single oils, simple formulas, as opposed to stuff that's loaded with tons of botanicals and whatnot. Um, a lot of times the botanicals, when it's a laundry list, yes, it's natural, but you could be sensitive to one of those ingredients and that some can cancel each the others out. So um, go for simpler formulas, cleaner formulas. And I will say this, if you have eczema, I would highly recommend that you stop using products that have coconut oil in them. It tends to make eczema worse psoriasis, it's hit or miss. But eczema, hands down, ditch the coconut oil topically. Talk to me more about that. Why is that? Because <laughs> I was, I, I, we've already, I mean, I've already thrown myself under the bus. I wrote the whole, I wrote the, the I was the one writing the posts about, you know, put co coconut oil on it. And now I'm like, please don't. So, but tell me why. <laughs> um, I have a whole article that actually goes into it, but basically, with eczema specifically, it is it is too so coconut oil is very antimicrobial. We know that for sure. And so eczema in and of itself is a problem of dysbiosis a lot of times at the skin. So what happens when you wipe everything out? Well, 
the bad guys rush into that space faster than the good guys can come back. So A, it's too antimicrobial for the skin. Um, B, it actually cannot be absorbed through your skin because the molecules are too large. And it ends up actually laying on top of the skin and it's too occlusive. So your skin can't breathe as a result of that. And that is not good for a healthy balance when you've got a lot of inflammation going on. So um, better oils would be something like um, avocado oil, jojoba is actually not really an oil. It's actually a wax that's liquid and that's closest to our sebum. It may be too thin for the winter time. Um, you know, you could try things like shea butter. Shea butter is pretty thick. I wouldn't, I don't know that I would put shea butter on my face. Um, but there's emu oil, there's sunflower seed oil, um, olive oil works for some people. Um, so those are, those are all options that probably would be better options than yeah. coconut. Yeah. Yeah. It does not absorb into the skin. So just stop using it, folks. Stop. Um, okay. Psoriasis. My husband has psoriasis. This is from Miria. I would be very interested in how to completely get rid of it. What does he need to eliminate or add to his diet? So what makes psoriasis different from eczema? And then I also have a follow-up question about scalp psoriasis for personal reasons. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, with psoriasis, you, you got to get a stool test. Don't focus on food. You're going to drive yourself crazy. You can try and eliminate nightshades. That sometimes will help people. And nightshades are more than just pota white potatoes, peppers, eggplant, and uh, tomatoes. Um, so even things like some people do ashwagandha, that's a nightshade, by the way. Um, that's the thing with psoriasis. It can be modulated. And oh, I should say you definitely want to eliminate gluten for sure. Um, he should be getting his um, liver enzymes checked. That's really important to make sure that there's no onset of um, liver issues that are showing up. And I would do a stool test because there's a lot of connection between dysbiosis and what's going on at the level of the skin. Also make sure that he has enough stomach acid. There is a lot of data showing that people are not breaking proteins down appropriately. In psoriasis, they get fed to gut bugs, which ferment them, which is not good. That's called putrefaction. And the putrefaction byproducts actually enter our bloodstream about 50% within an hour of consuming foods. And those are very inflammatory. And so they've actually seen them lodged in some of like the plaques of psoriatic patients, for example. The other thing to consider is that strep is a huge problem for people who have psoriasis. It actually can be one of their triggers. You may have had strep throat in the past, even as a kid. I wouldn't just go the food route with psoriasis. I think you're going to be spinning your wheels. So what's your what's your scalp psoriasis question? <laughs> so I honestly, I, I've kind of always had like a and I've been told it can be yeast and it can be autoimmune, but I've always had a little bit of a dry scalp and it's always been a little flaky. But ever since I've had, you know, I've never had skin rashes, never had, never even really had acne growing up. The one thing that has been driving me mad, specifically postpartum, I do feel like it, it totally cleared up during pregnancy, but postpartum, now I have scalp psoriasis and I have tried to do a lot of research into specifically scalp psoriasis because honestly, I feel like a lot of people have just that. So they like that seems to be and maybe this is just me, you know, being self-consumed, but I do feel like a lot of people seem to have just scalp psoriasis. And it's one of those things that I cannot figure out out how to um, get rid of. And I've, you know, I've played around with food and treatment like with salicylic acid, and that absolutely helps. Can it be triggered by potentially like sweating, you know, working out and not necessarily being able to wash your hair right afterwards? I don't know if it's any the treatment for scalp psoriasis would, psoriasis would be any different from like psoriasis on, you know, your body. I would do the exact same thing as what I just shared about psoriasis in general. But the other thing to consider is that um, there is certain topical things that you could do that could potentially help. I don't, I mean, the skin is an organ of detoxification. So you could be also pushing things out. And for some reason, it's coming out through the scalp. Um, so again, I would consider the, le the liver detox overload. But ozonated oils, there's ozonated sunflower seed oil, ozonated olive oil, you could test those out. I wouldn't, 
I wouldn't put them on and leave them on endlessly. I would probably do it as a treatment at night to put to put it through the hairline and wherever you have the lesions, leave it on for like 45 minutes and then w- try to wipe it off and then obviously shower the next day. Um, that can be helpful. Sometimes as they're resolving CBD oil applied topically without any like menthols or anything like that. So it has no flavor. Um, that can also be helpful, but it is still an internal issue that has to be addressed. And psoriasis, because it leans more toward an autoimmune side of things, you know, the, the imbat- pregnancy is tremendously stressful and traumatic on the human body, especially for women. And that can trip that, that can be the switch that flips and, and can trigger things. Um, so I, I would, I would consider, um, yeah, stool test. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. I was just thinking I could get away with figuring it out on my own. Um, Okay, this is from Sarah Bull, which is, I think, very related. My daughter's fingers and toes have been peeling for the last three to four years. It got better when removing gluten, but got worse again and got better when removing dairy, but it's still present. The few times she did eat gluten, she has major eczema breakouts on her arms. I had her do an MRT food sensitivity test and has now eliminated a lot more foods. Her fingers are cleared up for the most part, but her toes are still peeling. Being an NTP myself and FNTP myself, I think she has some gut dysbiosis, but being a teenager, she doesn't want to do that test. We're also testing our house for mold because my son's feet have been peeling for the past couple of years as well, not fungus. So my question is, would food allergies make her skin peel? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. Um, I would say that it's probably more like, I mean, look, that's where you have to have like a heart to heart and be like, listen, either you're willing to figure out what's going wrong here, or you're going to, you're going to be dealing with this. So I would absolutely look underneath the surface and just tell her, look, if you don't want to do the, like you collect the poop sample, I'll put it in the little tube for you. Um, it really, it's gross. I get it. But it's one of those things where it could provide her a lot of answers. Um, and I mean, you know, there are some rarer conditions where skin can peel as well. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I would, if she's got a lot of food sensitivities, that's the question is like, why did that happen? And I know like my colleague, Krista Bigler, she does not generally run MRT without using it in conjunction with the GI map. So I don't think doing the food sensitivity and the elimination diet thing alone is really going to get to the root of it. You're just removing tax on the chair. You want to figure out who's putting the tax back on the chair, you know, and eliminate that little rascal that's running around your house and being sneaky. That's how I liken it to, to this idea of we want to find the triggers. We want to eliminate them. Um, and it is possible with kids, you can pick up stuff through, through, um, you know, the whole uh, pregnancy thing, mom's microbiome does matter. Uh, there are some bugs that p- can pass through breast milk. Um, so a lot of times if it's a, an issue that started as a young, especially as a young child, um, it's worthwhile to take a look at the microbiome. Yeah. This is from Sonia. What's the root cause of rosacea and how do you manage it? Because I actually, now thinking back on it, I'm not sure what rosacea is other than redness. Like what causes that redness and does it have a different trigger than, let's say, eczema and psoriasis? It can. Um, There's a very high incidence of SIBO with rosacea. Not everyone has it, but it's pretty high. Um, there was an interesting study by uh, done by Dr. Leonard Weinstock. I actually had him on the Healthy Skin Show talking about his study. And it was something like 70-some percent of people with rosacea have hidden SIBO lying underneath. And um, they even with ocular rosacea as well, so both facial and ocular rosacea. And rosacea tends to be that something happens and you end up with this blood flow that kind of draws to the surface of the skin and everything gets more red. Um, And you want to be very cautious of the type of skin products that you're using, things that are harsh, that are anti-aging. They are not a good choice. You want to do things that are soothing and cooling. Um, But there are some dietary things that you can tweak. Uh, People say avoid spicy foods, etc. Most of the time, um, I would look under the hood. H. pylori is another red flag, I would also consider as being a potential problem. Because again, histamine release, um, and it can cause a variety of issues. 
that you may see with rosacea. So H. pylori results in more histamine being released in the body? Mm. This is the last question, and I just wanted to bring this up because you dealt with it personally. She said, do you have any information in the functional medicine world about, is it dishydrotic eczema? Yes, dishydrotic eczema. Dishydrotic. Okay. This is a subtype that causes tiny, intense, itchy, water-filled bubbles to pop up. She says it's more sore, itchy, blister-covered skin. I am fully recovered from SIBO, and I've rebuilt my gut and continued to prioritize it 24-7. So I do feel that topical triggers are worst for me. I really had to break down and use a steroid cream recently, which I didn't want to do, but I felt like I had no choice as the blisters were turning into painful red open lesions, and I was afraid of infection. Any insight? Is there anything, you know, in particular for flares, even if she has kind of worked on her gut and SIBO and all that? Yeah, I will say this. Uh, a lot of people who've worked on SIBO have only done SIBO testing. <laughs> the only thing I would say is make sure that you check further downstream that there are there is nothing else present. And consider all the other symptoms, too. Like I was saying, like, do you does it feel like you've got this itchy, crawling feeling under your skin as well at times? Um, could be parasites, which... Also, your stool test can show a false negative on those. So you might want to consider, like, is there still a potential problem there if you haven't really delved into all of the testing? That said, um, I would look for other potential allergies as well. You can have have allergies to all different sorts of things. Um, You know, there's a lot of chemicals, even in very like seventh generation products, even though we assume that they're very clean, there are things in them that can trigger issues. So look through and and, and I would say simplify the formulas of every single product that you are putting on your skin, be it uh, shampoo, conditioner, etc. You want to make sure to protect the hands as much as possible. Like I said, Home Depot. I'm not. I'm not paid to say this, but they do sell these blue light gloves that don't. Um, they're not tight to the skin. That can be really helpful. Make sure to wear gloves when you wash dishes. You want to try to. I know it sucks. I'm gonna be honest. It really, really sucks. But water strips the lipid barrier away. Not as much as soap does, but for whatever reason, she may be more susceptible to water alone causing that issue. So look around and see what exactly is in your environment. Um, And then I would also consider maybe there's some liver detox challenges going on underneath the surface. She could also try... So filaggrin I had mentioned earlier, which was a gene root cause issue. Um, Some people find... there's There's a study... And I talked about it on the Healthy Skin Show. There's a study that showed that taking four grams of histidine, so not histamine, histidine, it's an amino acid, every day. And so they had the participants take this four grams in, I think, a juice, but you could put it in water every morning on an empty stomach for the course of like a month made a huge significant improvement in their skin because it actually had the same type of action as like a mid-potency steroid cream. So it may be that she needs more histidine, which has a, it's a huge component of the gene. And then the, excuse me, it's a huge component of the protein filaggrin that is made by the gene also called filaggrin. So that might be something helpful to try. The only issue is if she has a lot of allergies because histidine can get converted to histamine. So just be aware of that. Um, But that would be another thing. And then also get your thyroid checked. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Thyroid, low low thyroid issues and thyroid being off. That's one of the first things I want to see is a thyroid panel because that can also be a huge problem. That can be a trigger for eczema? Any of them. (laughs) All all of the skin rashes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to have you on for like part two (laughs) and part three and part four because I have so many more questions, but we didn't get to them. The good news is you have your own podcast. You go deep into so many of these issues. So please go download her uh, podcast and and you can listen to more about specific skin conditions. I'm sure this has been so helpful uh, for so many. So thank you so much for being here, Jennifer. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And we'll link to everything I tried. I was like furiously trying to take down the stuff. I will link to anything she mentioned in terms of articles, Skinterrupt, her website, download the podcast. She also has her own website. And really, you have a pretty... um, when I found you on Instagram. I find most people on Instagram. So I'll link to her um, Instagram as well. 
Uh, for more from Jennifer, go to skinterrupt.com. For more from me, you can go to coconutsandkettlebells.com. Thank you for being here. Thanks for sending in your questions so that I know how to uh, choreograph the show and what to talk about. I appreciate you guys being a participant in the show and helping me each week. All right, guys, I'll talk to you next week. 